Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. You know, last, when, last week when Brian spoke, and every time he does speak, there's a slide that says, Brian Wilmarth, senior pastor. And I said, well, I told my wife, I said, they could put Kirk Bodie, senior. That's all. <laughs> senior. Because that's what I am. Um, but that's not, that's not the way it's going to happen, I guess. Um, so to tell you a little about myself, Ryan's right. I was, I've been here since the new life began um, and have served with the eldership. I serve with the men's ministry. Uh, I teach some adult education classes and things like that. Um, and then occasionally I have a chance to preach and open God's Word. So today we are tra- trekking through, uh, continuing our trek through the Exodus, which is labeled, the tagline is their story, meaning the Israelite story, is our story as well. And later on in the message, I'm going to talk about my per- personal story. My, their story is my story. Um, and sometimes we, we look at a book, book of the Bible like Exodus, and it's our way to understand the story of our lives as we look at the story of the Israelites in captivity. And to put it in context, as you recall, a little bit of recap here, the Israelites are down in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. They were down there to escape a famine. Uh, the leader, the king of Egypt, who's, we call, whose name is Pharaoh, um, he enslaves them. And not only does he make them slaves, he makes them bitter slaves. Remember a couple weeks ago as they were, they were slaves making uh, bricks, and Pharaoh got mad, and he made them uh, make their bricks without the use of straw. So his, the oppression got greater and greater and greater. And then God raises up Moses. Uh, Moses to be the deliverer of the people from their slavery and bondage in Egypt. And of course, Moses is, is a reluctant guy. We, we, we heard about how he's by, by the burning bush, and he gives excuse after excuse after excuse. And finally he says, I don't want to go. And God says, you must go. So Moses goes to Egypt, and perhaps he thought it was going to be an easy task. He goes to Pharaoh, and he says, you need to let the Hebrew children, the Israelites, you need to let them go. You need to let them leave. And maybe Moses thought that was the end of it, but Pharaoh said, absolutely not. And then we're going to talk here in a minute about, and we talked last week about a series of plagues or signs that took place. But I also want to note that at the conclusion of our message today, we're going to be celebrating communion. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, And it's very important to us and should be very important to us. It's a commandment right out of the Bible, commandment by Jesus himself. But it's important today to see the Lord's Supper that we're going to do later is in fact rooted in the Old Testament. It is rooted in the Passover that we're going to talk about here today. And you cannot understand and appreciate the Lord's Supper unless you appreciate the Passover that we're going to talk about here today. So let's, let's, let's bow for a moment. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> God, today as we have a chance to open the Scripture and uh, read the narrative of the children of Israel captive in Egypt uh, and how you delivered them, God. May we have ears to hear what you would say. May we connect the dots. May we see our story what it could be in, your, in the story of the Israelites. 
Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, oftentimes in Christian circles, we use words like the blood of the lamb. Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb or the fountain of the blood of the lamb? We use phrases like the blood of the lamb. And if you weren't a Christian or you didn't know, have some understanding of Christianity, that's a weird thing to say, the blood of the lamb. It's, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, sometimes you hear hymns and you hear songs and we banter that around as kind of a Christianese, the blood of the lamb. Well, today... We hopefully, one of the things we want to leave with is the blood of the Lamb is in the pages of the Bible from page one all the way to the very last page. It's important, the blood of the Lamb. That's the Passover. So how about the importance of the Passover uh, and this Exodus narrative that we're going to read about here in a minute? If you, maybe you have a Jewish background, maybe you have family or friends that are Jewish, you know that the Passover is the most important day of the year for Orthodox Jews today. They celebrate the Passover in great detail. It is incredibly important to them because they have a chance to celebrate the story we're going to read about here today. It is the key moment for Jewish people. And to Christians, the Passover is very important as well because it's a picture and a portrait of the Lord's Supper. We're going to see that. And it's important to understand the New Testament that we have a grasp of the Old Testament. You can't have the Old Testament without the New Testament or the New Testament without the Old Testament. They go hand in hand. There's some movement in Christian circles to kind of downplay the importance of the Old Testament. But as we're going to see here today, the Old Testament and today the story of the Passover is very, very critical to understanding the New Testament and especially to understand Jesus. So we're going to review the the Scripture narrative uh, and to pick it up where we left off last week. Remember last week, Brian mentioned the, uh, the ten plagues, um, and that's what's happened. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, not going to happen. So then God embarks on a series of these ten plagues, as we call them, or we could call them signs, uh, then one after another. And as we went through, as we go through, as you go through those, Brian highlighted the flies last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, He's got a great story in there about his own personal encounter with the plague of flies. Um, But what happens is, God brings a plague. Pharaoh says, you can take your people and leave. They start to leave. Pharaoh says, no, I changed my mind. Then Moses comes back and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, another plague. Pharaoh changes his mind. It's a cycle that's repeated nine times. Um... And it takes place over, I don't know how many months or perhaps years, and it's, and it's a series of these terrible, terrible plagues. Um, and so that's the where we pick it up here today, because we're going to talk today about the very 10th plague. And we're going to read about that, because that's where the Passover comes out of. And what's, what we have here is Moses, really God, versus Pharaoh. The, it's like, like the clash of the titans. Who will you serve? Who is the king? Is it God or is it Pharaoh? Who and you people Israelites, who will you serve? You're going to serve God, represented by Moses, or are you going to serve Pharaoh? Not only which way we should choose, but how we need to act on how you choose who you will serve. So here's the final plague is threatened. This is Exodus chapter 11, and we're going to put the passages up on the screen, but you're free to follow along and you're Bible or your tablet. 
that now the Lord had said to Moses, after all these nine plagues, here we go. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. So this is the final plague God tells Moses. Now we pick up in verse 4, Moses then talks to Pharaoh. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son of Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So here he tells Pharaoh what's going to happen. So a couple things. This is, he, he says, this will be the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn son. Now, does this sound a little familiar? If you remember several weeks ago, when we talked about where Moses appears on the scene, remember as a baby, there was an edict, a curse, an infanticide, where Pharaoh commanded all Hebrew boys be killed. Now we've come full circle, and the final plague by God is that the firstborn son of the Egyptian will be killed. Also very important, and Brian highlighted this this week, he says, then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt, God's people and the Egyptians. See, the last several plagues of that list that was up there, uh, they didn't, it did not affect the Israelites. They were distinct. They were treated differently than the Egyptians because God spared them. God take, takes care of and protects his people. He draws a distinction between the people of God and the Egyptians. So now, <clears throat> moving forward, here's the instructions that Moses gives to the people. Now, note this, as we go through this, notice how he addresses the people as to what action they must take and the incredibly detailed action that they were to do. And, and, and what is, as we read this, think of your own reaction as to the incredible, detailed, specific actions that are to be taken. So here it is. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. 
Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloaks tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you will shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So there's the detailed instructions. A couple things to comment about that, what we just read. Notice the detailed obedience that's required. Everything down to tucking your cloak in, staff in hand, there's got to be, you got to roast it, you don't boil it, you gotta, there, there's, the bread is made without yeast, there's bitter herbs. It's a very complicated, detailed prescription of what the people are to do. Almost seems a curious, almost seems like it doesn't make sense. Almost, you could almost say it sounds silly. But you notice, know, it reminded me, as I read that, it reminded me of another story in the Bible, and you remember this, where uh, Elisha is a prophet. And a king or an army commander from a foreign country has leprosy. And he heard that Elisha was a prophet and Elisha could heal him or the Lord could heal him through Elisha. So he comes into God's land and he searches out Elisha. And he tells Elisha, I want to be healed of leprosy. And Elisha tells him to do this. He says, go down to the Jordan River and dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Not six, not eight, seven times. And the commander, his name is Naaman, Naaman's reaction was, well, that's silly. Uh, What kind of a weird thing is that? You're supposed to just wave your arm over me and pronounce me healed. But God gave specific instructions. Not six, not five, but seven times. And Naaman obeys, Naaman is healed. So sometimes God gives specific instructions that may not make sense to us. You know, We're going to have a baptism Sunday. There are some things you could say, I'm not sure I understand baptism. But God has ordained it. God describes it. And God gives instructions. And we as believers need to be obedient to the instructions of God. And in that sense, if you have not been baptized, you should give it some serious thought. So, second thing is to notice that God, in in our story here, commands that this, this is to be a ceremony to be celebrated every year as a commemorative moment so that you don't forget the event. Us humans, we tend to forget things. God says, make this a lasting ordinance, a lasting ceremony. That's why every year the Jewish people in great detail and go to great lengths to celebrate the Passover. That's why we, with the Lord's Supper, celebrate that. Never forget 
what God has done for you. That's the message to the Israelites. Never forget how God delivered you out of slavery. That's the message to us. Never forget how God has delivered you out of slavery to sin. A third point from this detailed passage is action is required. If you notice, in all the other plagues, never once did the Israelites have to do anything. They just remained in their homes and watched these plagues come and attack the Egyptians, the last several, and while they did nothing. Here is the first plague where they are required to do something. There was action required if they were going to avoid the consequence of this plague. And then this is the summary of the Passover. If you were to summarize the Passover, you would say this. The blood of the Lamb provided protection and deliverance from bondage and slavery. Now hold on to that for a minute. Hang on to that because this foreshadows Jesus. The blood of the Lamb provided protection and deliverance from bondage and slavery. That's the message to the Israelites in, in captivity. That's the message to us today. That's why to understand Jesus, we need a good understanding of the Passover and the Exodus. So continuing the, our, the story, here's how it went down after he, they predicted the plague, they gave these detailed instructions. Here how, here's how it went down. It says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and, your, and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you requested. So that's the Passover, and that's how this seemingly very terrible, terrible night took place. So what are the observations and applications for us in the 21st century? As, as Brian talked about last week, these passages talk about the character and the identity of God. As mentioned last week, God is a God of justice. God does not sit idly by when his people are oppressed. He hears their cries. He can't overlook the oppression of the Egyptians to the Israelites. So God is good. God's going to do something about it. That's the good news. But as you, as, you, as you think about it, God being a God of justice, he's going to make all things right. There's a little bit of bad news in there because we are born as sinners and justice would require that we would not be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. But that highlights the other part. God is also a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of rescue. Because at the same time he's a God of justice, he's 100% a God of grace, a God of rescue. He provides a way out. So just as being born into sin and deserving of the wrath of God, God rescues us and provides a way out. And it's so wonderful as we hear, see about the character of God, how patient he was. Mentioned last week, how patient he was with Pharaoh. He gave Pharaoh time after time after time to turn his life to God, and Pharaoh wouldn't do it. 
And the analogy for us today is he gives time after time. He's so patient. He wants everyone to be saved. He's so patient with us. And even at one point he says to Pharaoh, how long will you continue to resist? Sometimes it's the same for us. How long do we continue to resist before you turn your life over to God? So now you fast forward to the New Testament. Centuries, centuries later, Jesus is born. He becomes an adult. One day he's walking about and he encounters John the Baptist. And John the Baptist takes one look at Jesus and says, Look, there's the Lamb of God. Now we pass over that sometimes when we read that. Because if you didn't understand the Passover and you and the, see John the Baptist point to a guy and say, there's a Lamb of God, you think, what in the world is he talking about? But the audience that heard that, the people that were with John the Baptist, maybe the bystanders, when they see John saying, there's the Lamb of God, their immediate thought goes to the Passover. Their immediate thought goes to the Passover. And suddenly, the Passover Lamb is no longer an animal it's a person. It's Jesus. He was referring to Jesus as the Passover lamb. He was identifying Jesus as the Passover lamb. And that's our point today. Jesus is our Passover lamb. No longer is it the blood of animals. It's the blood of a human being, of Jesus. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. It's no longer a lamb. It's a person. And the Bible in the New Testament has repeated references to Jesus being the Passover lamb, the fulfillment of the Passover. Let me give three of them here. In 1 Corinthians, this is Paul. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. In Revelation, John writes this, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony obvious reference to the Passover, the blood of the Lamb. 1 Peter 1.19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a Lamb without blemish or defect. That's a direct reference to the Passover. If you were reading that in the first century, after it was written, it's clear a reference to the Old Testament Passover. The lamb, remember the lamb had to be without blemish. Jesus was the lamb, lamb without blemish. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. You know, at the Passover, the lamb died in the place of the firstborn. The firstborn's life was saved because the lamb was sacrificed. The lamb took the place of the firstborn. You see the connection? Jesus, our Passover lamb, died in our place. He took the punishment of sin that I deserved. See, we are sinners, and we were born sinners. We deserve to die as a penalty for our sin. The Bible makes that clear. We're separated from God by our sins, our bondage to sin. God is the God of justice. He can't merely just excuse sin. There has to be a price that was paid. It has to be a substitute. For the Passover, it was the Lamb. For us, it's Jesus. Justice was served when Jesus died on the cross. 
Mercy was served when he provided us a way out of our dilemma. Like the blood of the lamb at the Passover, the blood shed by Jesus on the cross at his death, number one, provides protection from the wrath of God that we deserve due to our sinfulness. But it also provides deliverance from bondage and slavery. See, the connection is so strong between what Jesus did and what that Passover lamb did. But as we talked about, it's not just enough to know what to do. It's not just enough to know this story, to know the story about Jesus. Like it was for the Hebrew children, action is required. They must do something. It's not automatic that your house will be spared from the avenging angel when it comes to kill the firstborn. It's not automatic. You've got to do something. For them, they had to sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. That action by them was there to save them from, the, from death and deliver them from Egypt and from the bondage of Pharaoh. To know the details, if you were a young family back then and you found out from Moses, here's what you had to do, and he gives this detailed instructions, and think, well, that's very interesting. But you don't do anything. Guess what happens to your firstborn? But when you follow the instruction of God and you take action on your part, in their case, when they put the blood on the doorpost, on the sides and on the top, their firstborn was saved. Action was required. The corollary is clear that just for us to know that Jesus is the Passover lamb is just not enough. There is action that is required on our part to appropriate, to gain for our benefit, our deliverance and salvation. You know, the tagline for our Exodus series is their story, the Israelites, is our story. And as I reflect upon it, their story is my story. So let me tell you my story. You know, as a young kid, I was raised and born into a family, uh, a good Lutheran church-going family. We, as a kid, we never, never missed church. No matter if you were sick, no matter if there was six, six inches of snow, never missed church. We would, we would, we're on vacation. Wherever we were on vacation, we had to go and find the nearest church because you had to be in church. It was drilled in my head how important church was. Matter of fact, I probably still have scars from Christmas morning. We weren't allowed to open our gifts until we went to church. Then we could come back. All my friends, and you get up to Christmas morning, how exciting it is. We were denied that. And uh, I probably need to see a shrink about that. <laughs> but, but since I was in the church, I was in Sunday school. I was in vacation Bible school. I was confirmed. My parents saw that I got a good Christian upbringing. I knew a lot about God, a lot about God. And then, 1971, I went off to school. That was, last, that was a century ago, last century. I went off to college. I went to college at Illinois Wesleyan down the road here in Bloomington. Um, I, first thing I did when I got to Illinois Wesleyan is I stopped going to church because the motivating force for me going to church, my parents, were three hours away. So I stopped going to church, and I started down a path contrary to my upbringing. I was a cocky, young wrestler 
that was ready for success. There's one person in this auditorium who knows who that cocky young wrestler was. She's my wife sitting right over here. She remembers what I was like. Um, Goodbye to church, hello to success and achievement and college and education and all those great happy things that it brings. But it wasn't three or four months into my college time that I met some guys who was one guy six foot seven, 280 pounds. He and I were like Mutt and Jeff. Um, He was part of a Bible study of guys that would read, they were actually reading the Bible because they wanted to read the Bible, not because their parents were making it. And they would sit down and they would open their Bibles up. I bought a, a little paperback Bible, a New Testament, and I started to read it. And it was hard for me to imagine this was the same Bible that I had with the leatherback, red version, red letter version that I got when I was confirmed. But I read that Bible, and as a result of hanging around these guys, I knew that I did not have a personal relationship with God. I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God personally like these guys did. And I wanted to have what they had. I realized that being a good church boy, being born in America, raised in the church, that did not save you. There was action that was required. Knowing about it doesn't save you. Action was required. And I had to personally invite Jesus in my life to be my ruler, my savior, my Lord, and my friend. And I did that in the spring of 1972. And much like the Israelites in our story, the Passover story, there was an action required. I wasn't just automatically saved because I was born in America and raised in the church. And much like the Israelites, I needed to do something. I needed to personally cry out to God and ask him to come into my life. So I did that in 1972. Shortly thereafter, I was baptized in Lake Bloomington on a cold, cold, did I say cold, spring morning. The truth of the matter is, it was cold. I don't remember it being cold because I was so excited that I gave my life to Jesus. So have you made that step? Have you taken that action to appropriate to get the advantage of what God has promised. God offered the Israelites salvation and deliverance from the bondage that they were in if they took action by putting that blood over the doorposts. There was some urgency involved. Remember, cloak tucked in, you eat your meal standing up, your, your staff is in. There was act, it was some urgency involved. And that's, sometimes as I re- reflect We need a greater sense of urgency. We presume that tomorrow will come. We presume we'll have another time. But God is saying, perhaps now is the time of salvation. There will be a time, like it was with Pharaoh, when it's too late. It's too late. I've given you so many chances, Pharaoh, and you didn't turn. And it's too late. A verse in John 5, 24 says this. Jesus said this. Verily, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. He has crossed over from death to life. It's like the Passover, crossed over from death to life. That's what salvation does. When you personally gain a relationship with God through Jesus, you have crossed over from death to life. It's like the angel has passed over you. 
So God offers salvation to everyone who will take that action step to appropriate what Jesus did on the cross. The call is to turn, to change, to do something. Don't just keep going down the same way and say, someday I'll give this some more thought. The, the time to do it is now, and the thing to do is to turn. And you do that by turning to God like I did, did in 1972, asking him to forgive your sins, come into your heart, make to make, as I prayed, to make me the person you want me to be, God, not what I want to be. So if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, or you can't specifically say that you, you don't have the assurance that you did that, today's a good day to nail that down. There's nothing more important in life than having a personal relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. Now, as I said earlier, we're going to go to a time of communion. This is where we pause to reflect upon what Jesus did. And this is a commandment, just like the Passover was to be celebrated year, yearly, so that you, they never forget. We are called upon today. That's why we do the Lord's Supper, so that we will never forget. Let me read the passage here from Luke 22 <clears throat> about the Lord's Supper. This is Luke's version of Jesus at the Lord's Supper. And I got a comment to make because there's some shocking things in this narrative. It says this, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Interestingly, Jesus eagerly desired to celebrate the Passover. That's how important the Passover was to Jewish people. Jesus eagerly desired it. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until I f it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And here it is. He took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which poured out for you. Now we've, we read, we've read that and we have heard that spoken from the platform, but oftentimes we miss the drama. We miss the drama in that because Jesus is, is celebrating the Passover, and there is a script or a particular litany that Jewish people go through when they celebrate the Passover, and Jesus is celebrating that with his disciples, and then all of a sudden, when he gets the bread out, he changes the script. He says, this is my body. And if you were in that room, you would have heard them gasp because that's not part of the Passover. Jesus is now saying, this is my body. I am the Passover lamb. And he says, this is my blood. I'm the Passover lamb. He turns the Passover, Jesus does, on its ear. He is the Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb by virtue of the body and blood. He, not the, lamb, the little lamb from the Old Testament, he, Jesus is the one that provides that salvation. He shocked his disciples, but that's how we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we are required, as it said, to remember the Lord's Supper. Remember, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, Jesus says, never forget. Never forget, like he says to the Jews, never forget how I brought you out of bondage from slavery in Egypt. Jesus is telling us, Celebrate the Lord's Supper and never forget what I did for you when I gave my body 
and my blood on that cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the Old Testament. We thank you for the Passover. We thank you how it screams what you did on the cross and gives so much more depth and meaning to that. God, I just pray right now, if there's anyone in the audience who has not given their life to Jesus, as I did in 1972, that they would do so now and not just presume there'll be time in the future, but that they would see Jesus as the ultimate, the true Passover lamb, that his, by his blood and his dying, he gave us a way, a way to eternal life and that we can take advantage of that only if we turn to him and trust him as our Savior. There's anybody that's not here that has not done that, God, give them the courage to do that, to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.